0: Alright, so, like Caleb said, my name's Joseph, All right, Uh, I've I've probably met most of you, or you've at least seen me at some point running around here, um, screaming my head off, probably throwing a football or smacking a gaga ball around. Um, So one thing you should probably know about me is I hate the news, like I hate the news, I I cannot stand the news, you will never see me looking at the news, And, and I really don't think it's because of necessarily like... What's on the news as much as like this, ch- this story from my childhood? See, I, uh, I'd spent a lot of time with my grandparents, right? And they had cable. My, my mom and I didn't. Um, sorry, one moment. Let me fix that. Um, so, so we didn't have cable, so I was like always excited going over to my grandparents. I'm like, yes, I get to watch the cartoons. Like I was so excited. Um, and, and it was fine and dandy, right? I'd go, I'd get my Cosmic Brownie, and I'd pop a squat on the couch, Flick it to Nickelodeon and watch whatever was on for the day. Until 6.30 came. I hate 6.30. My grandparents would walk in and they'd say, give me the remote. They'd take the remote. And the next thing I knew, I was watching Mark Johnson fail to predict the next day's weather. It was terrible. And then after that, I didn't even get to go back to cartoons. Because then I had to watch Diane Sawyer tell me about all the trouble going on in the rest of the world. Um... But but really, there was this one big constant theme with the news, and it was bad news. Like, it was just always, always bad news. Like, they really should rename the news to bad news, because it's always negative. But but every once in a while, you get a couple stories that give you a little glimmer of hope. You're like, yes, there is something redeemable in this world, right? Like, it's like, oh, the little kid had a lemonade stand, and they give, gave all 50 cents to a charity. It's like, yes, yes, that's so touching. And and But I remember one, okay, that I... I I don't even necessarily know if I actually heard it on, on, on the news at my grandparents or if I read it in an article somewhere along the line, but, but the news told this really touching story one time of, of a woman who was kind of stuck in the ghetto and her son got involved with gang violence, all right, and, and gang violence is risky business. Well, he ended up passing away. Somebody took his life, okay? Well, in the courtroom, they, they caught the guy, right, bring him to court. Mom's in the courtroom and she forgives him. Like she she's she's like, Yeah, yeah, I know you killed my son, but like I forgive you. And and later she would use this forgiveness as a means of presenting the gospel to the one who killed her son. He would later become a believer, okay, and, and has done and I mean done great things for the kingdom of God. Okay. So like what I, I tell this story because stories like this show us the incredible power of forgiveness, right? Like In our eyes, she had every right to hold on to the sadness, the bitterness, the resentment that that comes from somebody taking something so valuable from you like a child. But by choosing to forgive, God was able to use that as a crucial point in cementing the gospel in that man's heart. And so if if you'll look back into the text with me, right, at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, specifically within the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right? And so I also want you to now jump a verse, right, we're going to skip 13 for a second, go to 14 and 15, which says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it's a heavy, it's a heavy, heavy section, right? And, and it deserves like, so much more than I can give it in 15 minutes. But there's one thing I really want you to, to notice in Jesus' words here. The severity of forgiveness. Okay, he puts a heavy weight on, on forgiveness. It matters to God. Why, though, is a question we need to ask. Why is forgiveness so important to God? Because if we understand the value of forgiveness, we are going to be more apt to act on it, right? Well, God sees forgiveness as a bonding agent, okay? It glues his people back to himself. See, He uses it as a way of mending broken relationships, the action of forgiveness, right? From the moment Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, God has been offering forgiveness. He gave Israel endless amounts of forgiveness in the Old Testament, whether it was after they worshiped the golden calf, continually fell away in the book of Judges, or failed to uphold God's standard during the golden ages of the kingdom— God was always working towards reconciling and forgiving his people in a sealed and permanent way. He did this for a very specific reason. The the whole redemptive history of the Bible is is for a purpose. And it's to show us God's character. And I think forgiveness is a unique action because it shows us so much of who God is, right, right? So let's think about what action shows, what the action of forgiveness shows us about God. Firstly, it shows us his grace. Forgiveness and grace go hand in hand, right? You do something wrong, you deserve a punishment. But to be forgiven for that, right, you have been given grace. So so we see God's endless amounts of grace through his forgiveness of us. Secondly, we see his love. You must have a love for other people in order to forgive them right? I mean, like, like I, I like to imagine that that in order for a Jewish person in the 1940s to forgive Hitler, it would have taken a unique transforming of their heart to develop a love for him, maybe not as, like, being Hitler, who has, you know, killed a lot of Jews, but, but at least the love for him for being another human being made in the image of God, right? It requires this base level love for forgiveness, and God's love you're being spit in the face of countless times by our sin is endless in his forgiveness of us, right? And thirdly, we also see his mercy, right? I mean, again, the mer- like grace, mercy and forgiveness come hand in hand because you deserve one thing, but then, but then by him showing you this forgiveness and, and kind of like cleaning the slate, right, he's shown you great mercy. And, and, and finally, I'd like to point out, it really shows his nature as our heavenly father, like like to be a parent, I, I'm not really totally sure what it means to be a parent, because I'm nineteen and I don't really have I don't have kids yet, right? I have a dog. Um and occasionally I might have to forgive the dog. But but other than that, like I don't I don't really have kids, but but I know that to parent me, my parents had to forgive me for a whole heck of a lot along the way. I I, I mess up, you mess up, right? They it, it takes that. And and so what I also hope you see is that is that not only, like, like, Caleb talked a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month, right, where he talks about the swinging scale of how we view God, right? Like, we either see him as this powerful king or this, like, really heavenly father. What's unique about forgiveness is it really does bridge the gap between those two views in a lot of ways. Because in order to forgive the debts that we have accumulated, accumulated, you must be a powerful king like God is, right? But to But you also require the mercy and grace that a father has. So so if we have a great view of forgiveness, we get to understand God as a father, God as a king. And just God in general, we get a great picture of him from his forgiveness. And now, not only that, right? Um like we continually run from it and he gives it over and over. So God has always been committed to bridging the gap. He's always been committed to forgiveness. He's always been committed to showing us himself through forgiveness. Now, not only does God show his nature through his forgiveness of us, but he we as the church are also meant to mirror him, right? Like there like for example, right, any, like, as the church, we're the body of Christ, right? He's the head, we're the body. So in all ways, we are meant to represent God's nature. The Holy Spirit in us, the sanctifying process is to really make us more in the image of Jesus. So forgiveness, and, 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 and like even within the context of this passage, right, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is talking about what his kingdom's got to look like, what his kingdom people need to look like. So for him to put such a high premium on forgiveness, God's people need to be able to forgive. Okay, so, but, but there's really a big problem, and, and I don't really know if you've noticed, I, I, I tend to notice here and there, we are really bad at forgiving. Okay, and, and to demonstrate this, I'm going to draw you a little picture. Okay, if you know me, I, I really like whiteboards. Um, Jonathan bought me one tonight, and I was just so thankful to him for it. So, so our forgiveness tends to look more like this, okay? So they do us wrong, and there's a mark on the slate. All right, And we'll say, yeah, you're forgiven. But, like, and we'll do it as this like, like, oh, Jesus told, tells me I need to forgive people, so I'm going to tell them, like, yeah, I forgive you all as well, right? But if they do us wrong again, we count it to them as, as two sins against us. So did you ever really forgive the first time? No. You just, you just were like, I'm going to stuff it deep down inside, and when it's convenient, I'm going to pull it right back out again comparatively to actual forgiveness which is what god has shown us which is this you sin okay and god's like i forgive you and what he does is he doesn't put this little x under it that he can erase and they count the sin back to you no he just erases the sin it's just gone it's not there anymore right he doesn't see it it's as far as the east is from the west he doesn't count it to you anymore he's thrown it on jesus at the cross right and, and we're bad at forgiving but, but we may, like, forgiving isn't just using a one-off statement to give you this moral high ground in a dispute. See, forgiveness definitionally is the action of releasing resentment and bitterness that was aimed towards someone who you perceived has wronged you. And this is the part where we struggle. We struggle because ultimately we don't actually believe the people who we struggle to forgive deserve forgiveness. See, far too often, we view our own right living as us being perfect, and that creates a mini God complex within us. To do wrong against us? Oh, that's to do something more egregious than is worthy of forgiveness. And this is an incredibly ignorant line of thinking that I'm guilty of, you're guilty of, and plenty others are guilty of. And with this developed, self-righteous, arrogant, and prideful view of ourselves, we create this tension with God and the people around us, and this tension forces us to do one of two things to either admit, like wait, sorry, to admit we are wrong and, and hold on to a grudge, or to shell up and protect our own perception of an incident. God makes it clear in our text how we relate to others reflects how we relate to him that's really what's going on in verse 14 and 15 there right like like it's it feels like this conditional language but really what's going on is is it god's trying to teach us that there's this deep relationship between how we interact with others and how we interact with him right they're so interconnected but if we if we're becoming hostile towards others by by this deep resentment and bitterness and we're not willing to let go and we're not willing to let like like just be relieved of it, then what is that saying about our relationship with God? We have all this tension with people, which means it's impossible for us not to have the tension with God. They go hand in hand in that way. So clearly, there's a problem going on. I mean, it, it's it's abundantly clear. Something inside of our hearts, inside of our souls is is wrong, right? Due to our pride and the tension that that creates with God and with other people, we've become entitled, We and, and we're left with this... just unforgiving spirit that is incapable of bonding broken relationships like forgiveness is intended to do and and that condition will leave us broken and lonely in our lowest moments okay like i i I could go on for, for stories and, and stories about it, but, like, I have stories of my own where, like, I didn't resolve issues with people. I didn't forgive them. I held on to resentment. And when I needed them, they weren't there because this tension, like, it, it wasn't bonded. We didn't fix everything, right? So, so you're going to be left lonely and, and hurt. So, so what do we do? Like, like, what, is, what, what can we do, right? For, we've already established, I can't just go up to the person and be like, I forgive you. Like it's, it's, it's not as simple as that. So, so this is why Jesus encourages us to pray. See, by asking for forgiveness from the Father for our sins against him, right, we are scourging the prideful spirit within us. We are accepting our position as sinners who deserve nothing but the wrath of God but have been redeemed by the forgiving, finishing work of Christ on the cross. And when we accept the weightiness of our sin being placed upon Christ and him accepting the punishment of it despite living a perfect life, this is what forges a humble spirit within us the more iniquity we recognize and confess in prayer and lay on the shoulders of Christ to bear, the more clay we are giving the maker to shape within us into something new and beautiful, right? And so while our justification is a one-time event based solely on the grace of God, right, the confession of sins must continue to be an integral part of the Christian prayer life in order to prepare the soil for God to plant seeds of growth and root out sin in our lives and make us more righteous in living. As the Lord fosters this new humble spirit within us, we become empathetic towards others, right? Which allows us to truly release the resentment and bitterness we hold towards those people. We get off our self-righteous pedestal and when they fall short, we're there to pick them up and say it's okay. Instead of desiring revenge, we desire growth for the other person. Instead of desiring punishment for those who wrong us, we will desire to be reconciled to them. This is beautiful, but it's a work of God. And we need him. Because just as interwoven as our relationships are with with other people as they are with God, so are as interwoven as like when we need to do actions towards others, we're helpless. We need God to help us in this way, right? So, and, and we have such a great model of this in Jesus. I mean, Jesus lives this out like no other, right? He had every right to scorn us. He actually did live perfectly. We talked about how, like, we perceive we live perfect. We don't, but he actually did it, right? He was totally sinless. And despite us hating him, despite us being at total enmity with him, he forgave us. He forgave us. He didn't just tell us, he didn't just tell us we are forgiven. He did the heavy lifting. All right? Like literally, he he bared my cross. He bared your cross. He bared the cross of all the people who desired, he desired to see redeemed. So young men and young women, trust him in that. Trust him to help you forgive. Trust that he forgives you because he loves you. Trust him enough to confess and just place your sin upon the shoulders of the one who can bear the weight. When you do this, rest in the fact there's no action left for you to take. You need not do anything to be reconciled to him past that. For he said on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. You're forgiven. You're free to live, free to love. And most importantly, you're free to forgive those who may seek to harm you.